giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Will Larry. And I'm your co-host, Victoria Guido. And with us today are Rami Teba, Senior Designer at ThoughtBot, and Ferdi Akeni, Senior Designer at ThoughtBot, here to talk to us about the newly released Product Design Sprint Kit from ThoughtBot. Ferdi and Rami, thank you for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourselves a little bit? Tell us a little bit about each of your backgrounds while we get started. I'm Ferdia. I'm a product designer at Topbot. I've been with the company for nearly three years now. Um, I'm based in, in Dublin in Ireland, um, but I'm from the, the west coast of Ireland. Happy to be on the podcast. It's my first time coming on, so it'll be a new experience. Yeah, so I'm Rami Pleba, and I am also a senior designer at Topbot for nearly two years. Um, also from the west coast, like Ferdia, but I didn't move. I'm still where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. So just to get us warmed up here, why don't you tell us what something interesting going on in your lives outside of work you want to share with the group? For me, I'm trying to do a bit of traveling at the moment. So one of the benefits, obviously, of working with Topbot is that we are a fully remote company. As long as we're kind of staying roughly within our time zones, we can kind of travel around a little bit. So uh, I'm actually in France at the moment and uh, going to Spain in, in March. So yeah, I'll be I'll be working from a couple of different spots, which is which is really cool and uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very cool. I always see Ferdia like having these meetings in like these different locations. Just a few months ago, you were in Italy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, well, first of all, uh, I got uh, a new baby, new baby girl, around exactly on New Year's Day. So that's interesting. Uh, going back home every day and seeing how they evolve very quickly at this age. Another thing is I've been doing a lot of uh, Olympic weightlifting. It's probably one of the consistent things in my life since COVID. Uh, I was a CrossFitter. Uh, I got out of that, thankfully. But uh, coming back uh, into like after quarantine, weightlifting seemed like a good choice because it just doesn't have the social aspect of CrossFit. And I can just do it on my own. How's your sleep? I'm a heavy sleeper and I feel guilty about it. So no problems here. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing I'm still trying to recover from sleep. I, I love my sleep. And so I know some people can do it with little sleep, but I, I like sleep. And so I'm just now recovering and we're almost two years since my baby boy. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a heavy sleeper. And I tell my wife, like, we have this understanding. Like, if, if you ever need anything from me, it's besides, like, because he has to be up for, like, breastfeeding. Just kick me. I'll wake up. <laughs> I'll do whatever he needs. <laughs> That's awesome. So my understanding is that if you want to get better at any sport, if you get better at deadlifting, that will help you progress in your sport, pretty much. That's my understanding. I don't know if you all feel that way as well. Oh, I never heard that, but... I do know that these three, like three or four basic lifts just basically boosts you and everything else, like deadlifts, back squats, and what was the third one? Bench press, I guess. And pull-ups as well, I think. Yeah, they say compound exercises. I just hate like this. I look for an excuse to skip them. So. Yeah, the four essential exercises, but they doesn't mean that they're fun, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Will, I heard you were also training for a new activity, the 5K. Yeah, I'm going to run a 5K with uh, my best friend. He's coming into town, so I'm excited about it. I've always tried to do running, but my form was horrible and I would get injured, tried to do too much. 
And I think I finally figured it out, taking it slow, stretching, um, making sure my form is correct. So it's it's been good. I've enjoyed it. And it's interesting looking at what I'm doing now versus when I first started. I was like, whoa, like when I first started, I couldn't even run a mile and I'd be out of breath and dying and just like, ah. And then now it's like, oh, okay, now I'm recovered and I can walk it off. So one thing it's taught me is just consistent, being consistent. Because I feel like with working out and running, you have this like two week period that it's just hard. Everything hurts. You're just, your body's aching. But then after that, your body's like, okay, you're serious. Okay. Then like I can adjust and do that. And then um, once you get over that two weeks, it's like, oh, okay. Like still, like sometimes I still push it and get sore, but for the most part, my body's like, okay, I get it. Let's do this. And then now compared to before now, I'm just like, I can't stop because I don't want to go back through that two weeks of pain that I started at, at the very, very, very beginning. So yeah, it's been a very good journey. I don't know how far I'm going to go with it. I don't know if I'm going to go a full marathon, a half marathon. I will increase it and do multiple races. But yeah, I don't know how far I'm going to go with it. Well, it's interesting. It reminds me how like anytime you do something new, you're forming new neural pathways in your brain. Then you can get in a routine and it becomes easier and easier every time you do it. So I'm going to try to relate this back to our product design sprint kit. It's like a set of exercises you can learn how to do that might be difficult at first, but then it becomes a part of the way that you work and how you build products, right? So why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Like, what is it? What is the product design kit that we just came out with? The PDS kit or the product design spin kit, it was just, it was something that I'd kind of been playing around with in investment time for a while and then spoke to Rami about it a couple of months ago and he got on board and it really accelerated and what we were doing. Uh, and it was basically like a product design sprint is a known process in design and product design and product development. It was, I think it was started by Google. And, and essentially the concept is that you can take an idea that you have for something new and in five days go from that idea to creating something that can be user tested. Um, so getting real kind of validated feedback on your idea. Yeah, it's to try to do it in a compressed time frame. That's why it's called a sprint. So you're trying to do it within five days. And the concept for kind of creating a kit that we could share to people beyond ThoughtBot was that we tend to repeat a lot of the same instructions in each sprint. So we're running very similar exercises. The outcomes are slightly different, obviously, depending on the customer, but the exercises themselves are pretty similar. So the parts kind of when we're when we are talking to the customer are often very, very much the same. And we just thought that we get a lot of uh, inquiries from, from startups, I think probably maybe even more so in Europe before they're funded um, and looking kind of for the first step, like what can they do? So a lot of them, if they're not in a position to say pay for some of our design team to come on with them and run a sprint with them, we thought it'd be cool to be able to give them, well, you know, this is something free that you can run yourself with your team and we'll kind of get you on the ladder. It will hopefully give you something that you can then take to an investor or somebody that could potentially fund a kind of a bigger sprint or maybe even an MVP build. Let me ask you this. Why is design so important? So if I'm a developer or CTO or CEO of whatever, why should I be an advocate for design? Well, over here at ThoughtBot, we do a lot of iterative design. I think that's a key factor that we should take into consideration. Uh, with iterative design, it's the idea of designing something based on uh, a validation or based on a user, doing it quickly and testing it to get feedback from the user or from the market and adjust from there instead of 
just designing something in like a, like a silo and releasing it after six months and then discovering that you went off course four months ago. And that will cost you a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of agony, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it's just generally will become a very frustrating process. Uh, I've seen clients before ThoughtBot where they come in and they've been working on this thing for six months and they're just not releasing and pushing the release for month on month just because the CEO does not feel like it's at par with what he's using on like everyday apps. And he's like looking at, oh, I want to look like Instagram or feel like Instagram or feel like whatever they like. When in reality, products don't evolve that way. And Instagram has already, I don't know, 12 years of development and design behind it. And you can't possibly expect your app that you're launching for your startup to feel the same, look the same, and all that stuff. That's why design is important. So you just discover early on that you are on the right path and always correcting course with different design techniques, including the PDS. What you're talking about there just de-risks uh, a lot of stuff for, for people when they're trying to create something new. You could have the, you know, a really, really impressive product under the hood that can do a lot of really technical stuff. But if it's very hard to use or if it's very hard to kind of tap into that magic that you built on the development side, people just won't use it and you won't be able to generate the revenue you want. So uh, yeah, the user experience and kind of the design around that is, is really important to get to get people actually using your product. Yeah, I, I can relate to what you all have said. I've talked with founders before who they maybe have a lot of experience in the industry and the problem they're trying to solve. They think, I know what it should look like. I just need developers to build it. But the activities you described by the product design sprint and creating something where you can go out and test that theory and then incorporate that feedback into your product and doing it within five days seems like a really powerful tool to be able to get you on the right path and avoid hundreds of thousands of dollars of development spend, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And like a, a typical outcome for a product design sprint will never be a fully polished, like perfect design. That's just, it's not realistic. Um, but what you will hopefully have by the end of that five days is you will know, okay, these are like five or six things that we're doing right. And these are things we should keep going with. And maybe here are three or four things that we thought users would like or potential customers would like and we were actually wrong about those so we need to change we need to change those things and maybe focus on something else so as rami said like it's in design is an iterative process that is like your first iteration and um, but getting that feedback is so helpful because yes yeah, as, as rami said if you if you spend six months developing something and figure out that four of the ten things that you built weren't needed or were wrong or customers just didn't didn't want them that's a really, really expensive exercise so uh, design sprint kind of if, if you're to do them on a continuous basis or every every couple of months can be a really helpful way to check in with users to make sure what you're committing your resources to is actually going to benefit them in the, in the long run. Yeah, I would also like to add like one of the outputs of a design sprint is a prototype. To me, I always like seeing is believing. It's just better to have a prototype as a communication tool within the team, uh, with clients, with customers, uh, with users instead of having like a document or even just wireframes, just doesn't really delivers what you're trying to do, uh, like a prototype. Yeah, 100% Rami. And like on the prototype, like a good comparison that people, if they're not in product development might have seen, is like if you're building a house like like yourself, Victoria, 
a lot of architects would give you two-dimensional plans, you know, and for people that aren't in the building industry, plans can be difficult to read or difficult to visualize what those actually look like. Whereas if you can give someone a 3D representation of the house, you know, they can see, oh yeah, this is what it's going to kind of look like and what it's going to feel like. And, and the prototype that Rami's talking about gives you exactly that. So it's not just, this is our idea. It's, this is actually what the thing could look like. And, and what do you think of that? So yeah, it's definitely a valuable output. We're having this debate about whether or not we need a designer for our renovation project. And I'm very much pro design, pro designer. And maybe that's from my background and being in software development and like, let's get an expert in here and they will help us figure it out. (laughs) And then we'll make less mistakes and less expensive mistakes going forward. So I think there's a lot of analogies there. So this product design sprint is a a service that we offer at ThoughtBot as well, right? We do workshops and meetings together with the client and you all have this idea to record the videos and put all the content out there for free. So I'm curious how that conversation went within management at ThoughtBot and how did the idea really get started and get some traction going? The benefit of the product design sprint case, what you get out of it won't replace, say, doing a product design sprint with ThoughtBot because you will have expert product designers or developers in the room with you to kind of share their ideas and their experience. So the output you're going to get from running a sprint with ThoughtBot would be more beneficial, definitely. But what we were trying to, I suppose, cater for was people that fall in the gap, that they're not quite ready to bring ThoughtBot on board or they don't have enough funding uh, to bring ThoughtBot on board to do a product design sprint or a longer discovery sprint or something like that. Um, But we want to be able to give those people in kind of the software community something actionable that they can actually take and use so the first three days i think of the product design sprint kit will be really really valuable to people it'll really help them identify the problem they're, they're trying to solve and then to come up with a lot of different solutions and to try to pick one of those and um, probably where it's going to be a bit more challenging if you don't have experience in designer and development will be around the prototype which rami had, had spoken about you can kind of do some offline things and there are ways to test things without say a high a high fidelity prototype but those High fidelity prototypes again are something that that could be helpful. But Topbot has always had an approach of kind of giving stuff for free uh, to the community, either open source or uh, just letting people, yeah, letting people learn from from our resources and from from what we know. And um, so yeah, this is just a way to hopefully cater to people that we currently can't work with for a variety of reasons, and um, but that this is something that that they could maybe use in the meantime. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Are you an entrepreneur or startup founder looking to gain confidence in the way forward for your idea? At ThoughtBot, we know you're tight on time and investment, which is why we've created targeted one-hour remote workshops to help you develop a concrete plan for your product's next steps. Over four interactive sessions, we work with you on research, product design sprint, critical path, and presentation prep so that you and your team are better equipped with the skills and knowledge for success. Find out how we can help you move the needle at tbot.io slash entrepreneurs. So can you break down, you said it's five days, can you break down what is walking you through like each day and like what experience do I have? Because I know I've tried to get in Figma sometimes and it's not easy. It's a pain at times just trying to maneuver and stuff like that. So what do I have to do? Like, do you show me how Figma? Do you give me a template with Figma? Like, how do you help me with those things? And I know Miro and those things. So like, walk me through each step of the sprint. Yeah, well, I mean, Figma and Miro are just tools that just became popular, I guess, after COVID. 
design sprints used to be physical in the same room as sprints. You would get into the clients or stakeholders in a room and do all this stuff. But Figma, FigJam, and, you know, kind of, I don't know if this was part of their, like, product thinking, but it kind of allowed doing full-on sprint, uh, design sprints in their tools. So the first step or the first day would be, like, the understanding day uh, where basically we gather information about the product, the, the users, what's out there, and just come up with a general plan on how to go forward. And the second day would be diversion, uh, where we just look at what's out there and come up with these crazy ideas, kind of like a brainstorming thing, but in a more um, inclusive, I guess, way and in a more organized way. So you don't have people shouting over each other. Like being anonymous also is important on this day. So nobody really knows what you're doing or saying. Uh, it's just ideas to remove bias. Then we have a converge day where we take all these ideas and consolidate them, which will be an input into the prototype phase. And the last day is the test phase. I mean, each of these days, uh, you can talk, have a full podcast. I'm curious about when you're testing and when you're like, let's say ThoughtBot is a, a global company, right? And so there's lots of different types of users and groups that you might be wanting to use your app. I'm thinking, you know, sometimes in particular, some of the applications I've been looking at are are targeting people who maybe they don't have an iPhone, they they uh, maybe are um, have lower income or less means and access to get products and services. So, how does your design sprint talk to designing for different types of communities? I think that's a great question, Victoria. Um, I would say the first thing on it is that uh, we'd often get a lot of people with a startup idea and they would come in and say, you know, this app could be used by everybody. So like we have kind of no beachhead market or no target, no target market, like this would be great for, for the whole world. That's a very nice thought to have if it is something that could potentially be used by everyone. But we would generally say you should pick a, a smaller niche to try to establish yourself in first and hit a home run basically with that niche first and then kind of grow from there. We would normally say to people as like, again, this going back to what Rami said about the iterative process, if at the end of the five days you've picked the wrong beachhead market and it doesn't hit home with them, that's fine. You can just do another sprint next week or next month on a different kind of subsection uh, of the market. So I think picking a fairly niche sector of the market is is a good starting point. You then run your product design sprint with that niche in mind um, and try to talk to five users from that. And, and generally, we say five because generally, if you have less than or fewer than five people contributing you probably won't get enough data, you know, that you could, uh, if, you, if you only test with two people, you probably wouldn't get a thorough enough uh, data set. And then normally once you go over five, you kind of start seeing the patterns repeating themselves. You get kind of diminishing returns, I guess, after five. So that would generally be the approach. Try to identify your beachhead market, the one you want to go into first, and then you will try to talk to five people, generally from the founding team's network that match the criteria of that beachhead market. And in some ways, just the final point on it, I guess, is the fact that you have to pull them from your network is actually beneficial to kind of make you narrow down and, and pick, a, pick a niche market that's accessible to you because, yeah, you'll know people in it. And maybe if you don't know anybody, then maybe you're in the wrong industry. Yeah, great point. Great point. Because, yeah, definitely it makes it a lot easier. It's nice to have loads of industries that you could go into, but it makes it so much easier if the founding team have contacts in an industry. Yeah, it makes a big difference.
Yeah, I was going through the different days and kind of what you were talking about. So like one day is brainstorming, then converge, and then prototyping and user testing uh, kind of that last day. It seems like it's completely laid out, like you're giving away all the keys except experience from an actual designer. It seems like it's all laid out. Was that the goal to like really have them fully laid out? Hey, you can do this from point A to point B. And this is what it looks like. Is that something that you're because that's what it looks like as my experience with designers and stuff. And if that's the case, what was the, your reasoning behind that to give it away for someone, like you said, like a, a startup, they can do this because you pretty much laid it all out. I'm not a designer and I I'm, I'm, don't claim to, but it looks like I can do this from what you laid out. Well, first of all, we're like at ThoughtBot, we're really big into open source and open source is not always just development. It can be these kind of things, right? It's not a trade secret it's not something we came up with we maybe evolved a little bit from google i think it was google ventures but we just evolved it and at the end of the day it's something that anybody can do but actually taking the output from it is something that we do as thoughtbot like okay you have a prototype that's great you tested it but okay now we want to make it happen if you can make it happen then great but reality is that a lot of people can't and that's why there are like a gazillion agencies out there that do these things so the the reasoning i guess and ferdy i can expand on is like if somebody takes this and comes up with a great prototype and feels confident that they actually want to develop this idea who else would be better than thoughtbot who actually gave them all the keys to to everything yeah 100 no. yeah it's, it's it's essentially just helping people get on the first rung of the product development ladder with fewer barriers to entry so you don't have to have a couple of thousand dollars saved up to run a sprint this kind of gives you a really really low entry point and i guess there's another use case for it where you would often have potentially founders or even companies that want to release a new product or feature and they might reach out to top up because they want to develop something and they're very sure that this is what what we want to develop and you know maybe they don't want to engage with a product design sprint or something like that if they think they know their market well enough um, and this could be a handy tool just to say to them okay if you can go away take this free resource for a week run a product design sprint with your team and come back to us and tell us that nothing has changed uh, you know that that you've correctly identified the right market and that you validated your theories with them then we can kind of jump into development from there uh, but yeah it can be a good way i suppose to show the value of doing a product design sprint as I said, a lot of people come in and they have great ideas and they can be fairly certain that this is going to work. But product design sprint is really, really valuable to validate those before you dive into building. And can you give us an example from your experience of a client who went through a product design sprint and decided to pivot maybe their main idea and go in a different direction? I'm not sure off the top of my head, Victoria, if I can pick one that pivoted in a completely different direction. but I. Definitely, like some of the some of the clients that, that we worked with on the Fusion team in Topbot, ended up changing direction or changing the customer that they were going after. So some people might have had an idea in their head of who they wanted to tackle, um, and might have had a particular say feature prioritized for that person. Um, and through the product design sprint, we were able to validate that actually this feature is not that important. This other feature is more important. 
and it's more important to a different group than kind of what you initially thought. That would happen fairly regularly on, on a product science. But like, I think if you look at the potential outcomes, one being that everything's exactly as you thought it was and you can proceed as, as planned or the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where nothing is as you thought it was and you know you kind of have to go back to the drawing board it's very rare that you're on either end of those after a product design sprint most of the time you're somewhere in the middle you've changed a few things and you're able to keep a few things um, and that's kind of normally where, where they land so i would say nearly every customer that we've done a product design sprint with has changed some things but never kind of gone back to the drawing board and, and started from scratch it's usually prioritization and just understanding what to do and also like get into the details of how to do it that's where the value comes in. But like completely pivoting from a food delivery app to, I don't know, NFTs <laughs> never really happened. Yeah, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a big pivot, but I'm looking for like, like a real world example, like maybe you're building a, an e-commerce site or like or a plant marketplace or something like that. Yeah, well, we had a we had a, a self-help app where develop, they already had the app in the market. It was a progressive web app. And they were really keen on improving this mood tracker feature, but then we did a product design sprint and they had a bunch of other features and that exercise kind of uh, reprioritized and the mood tracker ended up not being released in the first version of the actual mobile app because we were also developing a native app. Gotcha. So they were pretty convinced that this was an important feature that people wanted to track their mood in their app. And then when they went through and tested it, users were actually like, there's this other feature that's more important to me. One example of uh, another client that we did, which was a kind of a wellness app, they wanted it to feel like a friend in your pocket. So they were looking at ways to integrate with WhatsApp that you get notifications via WhatsApp. So they kind of be like friendly messages to people um, as if it's your friend, you know, texting you to, to check in. And that was kind of an idea going into it. And users did not like that at all. Like they really didn't like that. So uh, we, we ditched that out of it completely. Um, but again, that could have been something that, that they would have spent a long time developing to try to implement. Uh, and then to have users hate it would have been a very, very costly waste of time. So we figured that out in, in, a, in a few days, which was a big money saver for, for the team. And it must be pretty emotional to have that feedback, right? Like it's better to get it early on so that you don't invest all the money and time into it. But as a founder, I'm sure you're so passionate about your ideas and you really think you have the answers and from your experience, most likely. So I'm curious if there's any kind of emotional management you do with clients during this product design sprint. I think there definitely is. I think people, as I said, often come in with very strong opinions of what they feel will work. And it might even be a product that, that they specifically want. Or they might be one of those potential users. And I actually think, say, engaging an agency like Topbot to design something like that, if we felt that they were going down the wrong path, that could be actually quite difficult to do. But because of product design sprint, you are user testing it. The founders are hearing this feedback from the horse's mouth, so to speak. They're hearing it directly from potential customers. So it's a lot more black and white. Now, sometimes it might still be a case that the founder then doesn't want to proceed with that idea if it's not kind of going to be the way that they wanted that they wanted it to be and that that's fair enough as well but the feedback as i said it tends not to be that the idea is completely scrapped it just means that you move a couple of things around as rami said you deprioritize some things and prioritize other things for the first version and that that tends to be the the outcome of it are the users always right or is it sometimes you can have an idea that persists despite the early feedback from users? Interesting question. 
like I, I see the parallels you're doing with the customers always right there. But the thing is, like, that's just my opinion, I think. Uh, we test it with users and we kind of observe how they react to it and how they use the prototype. So it's not like an opinion session where, or like a focus group where they're actually giving, a user can say something and, and do something else or react in a different way. So, but yeah, it's it's a fine line, I think. But I would be really surprised if 10 users would agree on something, say something, and their behavior also would reflect that and we won't pick up on. Yes, I like the distinction you're making between what they say and then what the behavior shows, right? I think something important there as well is like you'll often hear it in design communities is that you should listen to the feedback from customers, but maybe not the solutions that they're proposing. Because at the end of the day, like Thoughtbot have experts in product design and product development. So we want to figure out from the user's perspective what they want to achieve uh, and maybe what their what the problems are, but not necessarily take into account or just I suppose not necessarily just follow exactly what they say the solution should be. You're kind of looking for the problems uh, and the things that they're struggling with. You're trying to pick those up rather than just to do the solution that the customer is, is telling you. And you'll see that in a lot of startups as well, that, you know, the, it's the famous Henry Ford quote about, you know, if I'd listened to my customers, I'd have designed a faster horse. Sometimes you need to listen to the problem and the problem is getting from A to B faster. And then you come up with a solution for that rather than the solution that's been recommended to you. I want to pivot a little bit and ask you both, why did you get into design? I actually did architecture in university and there were aspects of that that I liked it. Funnily enough, it's it's a fairly similar process to designing for software and then it's an iterative approach. You're given a brief uh, and yet you kind of take a concept forward. But then when you apply for planning, you have to make changes. And when you kind of put it out to tender, you make changes. So you're constantly, I suppose, designing iteratively. And then I got into startups and was kind of wearing a lot of different hats in that startup sort of world. But the product was the one area that always kind of got me excited. So, you know, if you tried to make a sale with a particular customer uh, and they, they didn't want to go for something like coming home and trying to figure out, OK, how can I fix that problem with the products so that next time when I go to a customer and um, they'll say yes, that was kind of what always gave me the, the adrenaline. So, yeah, I comparatively between architecture and software, the turnaround times in software is so much faster that I think it's it's uh, more enjoyable than, than architecture. You kind of can really see progress. Product design sprint in five days, you can kind of take something a, a long way, whereas designing a building is, is a bit slower, but it's always kind of been some some area of interest. Well, what about you, Remy? Well, I wanted to become a hacker, but I ended up to be a designer. <laughs> no, really, uh, when like in middle school, I really wanted to be a hacker and kept looking up what this is. Like I see the, all these movies, they're really cool. And I wanted to understand like how it's done online. And I saw like everybody is talking about these this weird little thing called command line uh and turns out like all these hacking quote-unquote hacking uh tutorials were done on linux so i started looking into linux and got into linux from there i started blogging about linux and then i just really got into technology i was a marketing like then i was a marketing major so that got me into blogging into like linux and open source which kind of triggered in my head okay i need to maybe pivot to a different career path. So I did a master's degree in information management. Over there, I stumbled into design, the information management school that I was in. Like it was an interdisciplinary school at like design coding and business all 
mixed in. So I stumbled into design there. That's how you all got started. And now you've put this product out there pretty recently. I'm curious if you have thought about how you would measure the success of this effort. So how do you know that what you put out there in the product designs kit is helping people or achieving the goals that you had originally set out to? Initially, uh, Victoria, we obviously like to see the view counts going up on YouTube and we're always open to feedback. So like at the end of each video and in the resources and stuff, um, we've got contact us kind of links and stuff. So um, if people have feedback on how we can make it better or more useful, that would be really, really welcome. So do feel free to reach out to us. Um, and kind of the ultimate success metric for us would be to have somebody come to us in future and say, oh, we use that product design sprint kit that you produced before and we either got funding or, you know, we got so much value out of it that we'd like to do a full product design sprint or an MVP build or something like that. And um, the, the equivalent that we would kind of have a lot of in top out would be, say, gems um, when in, in development where we would get people reaching out and say, we use that gem all the time. We know about top out because of that. That kind of is a way to establish trust with potential customers. So we're hoping that this is somewhat of an equivalent on the design side. Oh, it's been great chatting with uh, both of you about design and what you came up with this. I really like it. I'm going to look more into it. Yes. Thank you both for joining us. And I had one question. So the sprint is the short term. What's what would be like a product design marathon? Like what's the what's the big picture for people who are building products? Maybe that's a silly question, but no, it's not. I mean, but I was I would guess it's actually building the product and having successful product in the market and iterate over it for years and years. Yeah. So it's a one week sprint you could do over and over again for many years just to fine tune and really make sure that your product is meeting the needs of the people you were hoping to reach. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. You can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at Will23Larry. And you can find me on Twitter at VictoriousG. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Did you know ThoughtBot has a referral program? If you introduce us to someone looking for a design or development partner, we will compensate you if they decide to work with us. More info on our website at tbot.io slash referral, or you can email us at referrals at thoughtbot.com with any questions.